Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Devin Calloway. He is founder, co-CEO, and CTO at EcoFarms Holdings and Thrive Society. We're going to talk about the world of cannabis, particularly in the California market, what's going on there. I think, as most people know, the last uh, couple months have been challenging in terms of dealing with some supply and demand fluctuations, some pricing fluctuations. We've seen a lot of dynamics, hopefully a little bit of improvement recently, but uh, really just kind of understanding like where are we in the cannabis market? What are some of these driving factors? And really kind of the situation of being a maturing, evolving market and kind of working out some of the kinks in terms of some of the processes and distribution and supply, all kind of things that happen in these early markets as they kind of mature and develop. You know, unfortunately, a little bit of drama, a little bit of pain, but kind of understanding really where are we and, and where it might be going and how is this going to evolve. So that's the goal for today. With that, Devin, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bruce. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So let's do a little bit of background before we kind of get into all the things happening today in California. But how did you get into cannabis? Like, give us the backstory. How did you get into the business? What's the journey you've been on? Yeah, no, um, I've been in cannabis um, 
for my entire career, cannabis and technology, working in California cannabis supply chain for the last 16 years, since 2006. Uh, and I've been uh, in web development, information architecture, user interface design, um, application development for just over 20 years. And uh, both uh, cannabis and technology are my life's work and passion. Mm -hmm. um, I first uh, entered California cannabis in uh, 2006 when I moved here from Connecticut from the Northeast. And um, with my technology background, uh, I immediately went to the internet to find resources um, that really didn't exist on how to become a patient and access the, the benefits of Prop 215, SB 420 at the time. Yeah. And um, after, after my pretty much first couple of days in LA and, and uh, having access to limited resources, I saw an opportunity to apply uh, you know, some of the latest web technologies to help patients find the resources they need and went out and created a database of all the doctors, dispensaries, attorneys, organizations, and launched the uh, first locator tool with Google Maps integration. Um, the website was called Ajna Ganja Backwards. And uh, that, that was in 2006. <laughs> <I like> it. <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, A-J-N-A-G. And um, I was, uh, was very much a young activist advocate at the time and saw the big picture and you know how where the industry was going and, and its need for for technology and, and data to, to support its growth. So we went out and um, at the time it was very much a different climate. It was DEA was still rating and there was no brands or advertising. And so I focused very much on the education, activism, advocacy, and connect me some some of the early Prop 215 industry pioneers in California. And I became very involved with uh, patient advocacy, supporting organizations, uh, producing educational content. And uh, at the time, I, we had, had also launched a first delivery services in Orange County that was all driven by search engine optimization and predominantly focused on, on uh, uh, probably around 40 to 50 year old plus baby boomers that were, you know, cancer patients, uh, neurological disorders, also helping autistic patients and organizations as well. And uh, we grew, grew the website and by, you know, over there and, and helped fund it through our delivery operations. And, and by 2000, 2009, we uh, we saw well, the, the app store was really it was coming online, and we launched the first cannabis uh, mobile app to be approved by the app store. Uh, it, was very, it was kind of my claim to fame back then. Uh, it was <laughs> well, it, it was Steve Jobs is still around, and he had to approve it with his legal team, and it got international coverage. I think Conan O'Brien joked about it, and it's very exciting. And we debuted it at the uh, first THC Expo in LA. And um, it was, we had all this forward momentum, but this was very, again, very much ahead of its time. And we, it was pre-Cole memo. So there was no, there was no yeah. venture capital no Wall Street and had to decide on whether to keep it going and scrape by or, or um, you know, move on to a more profitable part of the, you know, supply chain. And I made the decision to shift my focus back to my other passion, which was cultivation and bought my first property uh, in Mendocino County and um, started growing our business and enterprise out of, um, out of uh, those operations, bought, bought a property, uh, grew 100 pounds on there next year, bought two more properties and began reinvesting year over year. And um, by 2000, um, it was around mid, the mid 2012-ish, um, 2013, we became early, early operators under the Mendocino 931 program. And, you know, with the, the hopes of being grandfathered in and all these promises that were laid out at the time and <laughs> <laughs> that never happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we uh, saw, you know, just kind of the 
the, uh, the the writing on the wall with kind of the corporate takeover of Wall Street getting on board and, you know, with uh, my background in activism and advocacy and the culture being so important, you know, sat down, really started looking at different business models and structuring. And um, I, I incorporated EcoFarm Holdings PBC in 2017 um, as a public benefit corporation that would be able to maintain the, the, the social and environmental and cultural you know, principles and mission that was so important to even, you know, with the plant and preserving its history and culture. And from there, incorporated our sixth, uh, currently our sixth licensed cannabis operating entities, where we have three mixed light cultivation, uh, three mixed light farms in Mendocino County and nursery, and then a, um, uh, a type six manufacturing and a type 11 distribution. And um, I'm curious what you've learned. Like a, I mean, a lot of activity, you've evolved a lot. Um, in terms of the work you're doing in the cannabis market, like what's been the thread or wh- what have you kind of learned going from each one of these kind of efforts and organizations? Give us some, uh, give us some insights. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've worked across the entire cannabis supply chain from technology, yeah. retail, cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, you know, with the evolution of the industry and always finding new opportunity and be having the ability to, to pivot. Um, has been really important, you know, even out of the farms, um, as we saw the the market beginning to, you know, mature and brands emerging. Um, we saw the price, you know, the race to the bottom with pricing uh, back in, you know, 2017, 2018, you know, prices were definitely, you know, very low then, not as low as they are right now. And uh, we, we need, we saw the need to diversify and that's when, you know, created a new opportunity to enter the manufacturing space. And I um, educated myself on on uh, cold wash, you know, cryogenic ethanol extraction, and you know, built a pilot little pilot lab, and began supplying wholesale commodity oil to some of the early uh, vape pen companies that were emerging at the time. Uh, and we saw that you know this was we we're no longer limited to the square footage of our property or the license, and you know, could now also leverage the relationships that I had on the production level with farms, with sourcing biomass, creating wholesale oil. And now meeting the demand of of this new emerging you know consumer packaged goods market, which was very much the vape early vape companies at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so from from this that experience, and and then we uh, the wholesale oil market was booming, and we we were we just we just um, started looking for you know towards expansion. And you know, Mendocino County at the time, and you know around 2018 was. The greenwash was fully underway and you know, all the industrial properties were getting swooped up and just really wasn't logistically sustainable. So again, looking in Sonoma County and we secured a um, two and a half acre heavy industrial facility right off the 101 that was, you know, met all of our the zoning requirements, you know, to expand our manufacturing and distribution. Immediately got that license and grandfathered into some of the early operator programs and the and, and began scaling our, our wholesale commodity crude. Uh, ethanol extract extracted oil business and we've through that process during that growth there we saw some some initial challenges of sourcing consistent pesticide free biomass and okay. um, we were we were uh, procuring throughout you know California and our my relations as well as my co-CEO and co-founder Danielle Dow we you know we're because of our almost two decades in California cannabis we have both relationships on the production side and with small farms throughout the Emerald Triangle but then also on the buy side and we were very much focused in the Emerald Triangle but it wasn't there wasn't enough consistency large batches so we started looking outside of the Emerald Triangle and then saw that 
the variables we were getting about 90% of the product would not pass pesticide cat three uh, really? testing standards. Huh. So we, we stopped sourcing from these other regions and we were, we sort of like, how do we create more consistency and predictability in, you know, sourcing this biomass. And that's when a lot of the farms we were working with in order to gain access to their, their biomass, they also their trim. They wanted us to also move their flower. And we had, uh, we had started, we were working with, I don't know, but early on it was maybe, you know, we had 40 to 50 farms we were working with and it was becoming very uh, unmanageable as we, as we were still operating on, you know, spreadsheets and QuickBooks and mm-hmm. it was administratively very challenging, sending invoices and bills back and forth. And, and that's when we, we were like, we need to create a program where we can securitize, you know, acreage and canopy. And we set up what we call our integrated farm program, IFP program. And we began locking, um, signing up farms through a membership-based model where we began to secure, securitize canopy and actual square footage where we can now predict what was coming down the pipeline in terms of uh, biomass, you know, specific genetics, the flower. And we, uh, we, became, we saw that it was adding a major value to these farms where these farms were outsourcing their go-to-market um, through, you know, uh, go-to-market strategy or in, in service, um, a direction with us. And, and that's when we uh, began look, really starting to research to see how we can support this on a technology level. And that's when we began exploring various ERP systems, seed to sale software, and none of, the, none of these systems could really meet the demand and scalability of what we needed to run the, our integrated farm program, as well as our you know, multi-entity entity, uh, holding company and vertically integrated enterprise. Yeah. Um, and so then we, we were like, all right, we're going to shift away from the seed to sale systems and let's focus on a, a tried and true ERP. And that's when we began customizing a highly scalable ERP platform to all of our cannabis business processes. And from there, once we had our back end in place, we began de- developing a front end to support the buy sell side through helping farms with automated onboarding, inventory management, automated billing and accounting. And then once we had the farms and we built this ecosystem around the farm, we were helping farms with forecasting their crops from their yield, their profit margin, looking at you know their cash flow. Now the farms had this resource where they can more efficiently bring product to market. And we then began developing a marketplace to support it. And that's when we launched our buyer program and began our buyer membership program and began onboarding distributors, manufacturers, and any of the relationships of the top, top brands in the state onto our, our digital platform. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, I, I know, you know, early in a market being uh, vertically integrated has a whole bunch of advantages. You've got connectivity, you've got consistency, you know, your supply, you control quality, all these things. You know, generally as a market matures, right, things become more standard. You've got more kind of marketplaces, like you, people start specializing in different areas. I mean, where do you feel kind of cannabis is, particularly California cannabis market is in terms of, you know, maturing? Are you seeing there's more opportunities or, or that there is now structure and consistency and, um, you know, supply chains to be able to provide this stuff? Or are, they, are you still struggling with that inside California? Well, I mean, early on, as you said, I mean, everyone was vertically integrated and vertical integration, you know, creates a lot of risk. It creates operational risk, financial risk. You know, you're doing, you're often doing too much, and you're know, straying away from core competencies. And and that's when we had that 
you know, saw that realization, had that realization with, you know, this now happening with cannabis and uh, even experiencing it with their own enterprise, we began looking at other industries and, and models. And that's when we came up with what we call the managed cannabis services provider model. And we took, you know, similar playbook as, you know, Amazon AWS and what's used in technology and launching a managed services program model for the cannabis, where we can now help mitigate that the operational risk and financial risk by allowing both sellers, cultivators, and buyers to outsource parts of their business with our managed services. And this helps is now helping create, you know, a variable cost structure that is, you know, more dynamic with the market enterprise revenue, as opposed to having all these fixed costs and being at, you know, at the mercy of, you know, a still very immature, nascent, volatile market. And, you know, I'm curious, given your kind of initial entree into the into cannabis as you know more from the activist point of view how, how have you kind of balanced the your activist roots and kind of you know what you were trying to do there versus you know what you're trying to do now you know having stood up a couple of companies and really kind of participating on the commercial side of this business like how, how has that kind of evolved for you or how do you balance that well you know it's it's ingrained into our into our you know our mission and our our actual you know bylaws where we, you know, have to maintain strict environmental social responsibility standards and, you know, and benefit all the stakeholders in the supply chain, not, not just our, not just shareholders, but all stakeholders in our community. And within our business model, we've been very much focused on supporting, we're a farm focused upstream distribution, you know, manages services company where a lot of the other companies have been focusing on, you know, midstream brands, you know, retail, and the farm farmers, especially in the Emerald Triangle and the legacy farmers, have been very much forgotten. And yeah. and that's where we begin where we focused on building this ecosystem around the farm to support these legacy operators that we have, you know, grown up with in, in the industry and have, you know, helping them run, you know, more efficient business, helping them remo- remove operational complexities and increasing profit margin and, and really creating long-term business value creation and resilience. Um, with you know, cre- you know, with having a, a trusted distribution go-to-market partner that is is um, going to you know uh, be around will create a long you know, long-term value for their families for their business. Where you know we say to a lot of these farms that you know most of the farms they're you know they're still coming out of the shadows. They're still you know working yeah. on implementing best business practices, and a lot of the value that they have, most of the value that they have is only as valuable as the land that they plan on. So. By having long-term contracts and you know consistency with bringing product to market, it's it's allowing you know these legacy operators and produce cultivators to create this resilience that they've never had before in the regulated market. And how I mean, I I guess what's the dynamic at this point in particularly in California between yeah some of the the, the legacy growers and you know these new you know, new growers that, you know, are venture backed that, you know, have raised all this capital that have access to, you know, a lot more kind of, I guess, resources, facilities, things like that. I mean, how do you see this playing out? So that's a good question. You know, um, we're definitely seeing, you know, with 2021 was, was very much a, a bloodbath uh, in California cannabis. And um, especially when it came to pricing, you know, the, the, the price, um, the wholesale price per pound for outdoor mixed light had, you know, collapsed over 60, 65% in 2021 yeah. compared to uh, 2020. The peak in, was, you know, in, in 2020 was in August. Prices were around twelve to $1,300 a pound to the farm. By November 2021, prices had plummeted to around 400 to 20 400 a pound wholesale for AAA grade A 
you know, light depth and, you know, outdoor. And this created, you know, significant price compression and, you know, a true rock, what we think we now consider a true rock bottom in the market. And this is very much a wake up call for many of these smaller operators to, you know, begin to implement best business practice, looking at cash flow, start to really have year round planning of their crop and not just, you know, throw seeds out there and see what sticks. And that's where the data driven side of our business model and focusing on the change management of the supply chain is really critical for these smaller operators where they can have a seat at the table with the Goliaths in the room, the big ag, you know, big ag producers that have the runway to operate through these, you know, these volatile times. Now we're we're definitely seeing a lot of smaller operators, smaller producers that are maybe not planting this year, cutting back production, and that you know may not have the the funding available to get through. And so we're we're very much shifting our focus towards you know supply chain as as a service and and helping manage change within the supply chain. And you know we're doing that by addressing really the the three the three problems that exist in the supply chain that you know are where that the, the, around the three flows of supply chain that exist in all supply chains which consist of product flow information flow and money flow and and right now within California cannabis and I think you know all cannabis all cannabis markets these these flows are are dysfunctional broken at best and a modern supply chain hasn't even been built yet and it's and now with with knowing this and applying these best practices and principles from these other stable supply chains, it's going to help the the small cultivators be able to run more efficient business, bring their cost to produce per pound down, and you know have the data and insights to efficiently bring product to market. Yeah, and I guess where are we in terms of you know the California market? I mean, we, obviously we had a bunch of price volatility the last you know four six months. I mean, what, what, what's really driving that right now, would you say, and what needs mm-hmm. to change in kind of how the market's set up or kind of the structural elements of the market to really stabilize that or minimize kind of the variation? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the this all really, this, this volatility in the market collapse last year in 2021 is driven by the regulatory framework and the early regulators not over license or they were over licensing production without looking at the actual demand and ability to sell the you know the supply produced within the state and right now there's over 8000 active cultivation licenses representing over 1500 acres at at full capacity and this is supposed to this is supposed to all product is all supposed to fit in a retail market that's consists of 1400 retailers storefronts and deliveries with a 40 million population it just doesn't it just doesn't fit in that yeah, small the work. yeah and and for the first time in probably California history in, t- in 2021 the supply outpaced the demand and Gosh. many of the cultivators especially in the emerald triangle are used to holding product and uh, waiting till the price you know increases in June July you know even early as as you know as May when premium product begins to dry up in what is called as the called the drought and again they were using kind of the comparison between 2020 dynamics which was very much an outlier year that wasn't really a true representation of the regulated market there was still you know metrics still wasn't online fully and being enforced and the state was still getting their act together and there was you know a tremendous amount of diversion and burner licenses and and it created a an inflated view of of what the real market can support and many of these and it increased the price per pound to record highs 
that we haven't seen in the last five years. So many of the many of the cultivators that were really just you know they're profiting he- heavily off of this increase in pricing thought that was going to happen again in 2021. And by by May, June, July, the demand never came, and there was oversupply of premium product, and many of much of the 2020 product that was being held couldn't even be sold as biomass and farms either had to destroy product or sell it as, you know, as trim. And it created um, a, a market crash where the wholesale price per pound, as I said earlier, when August of 2020 was at a peak of around $1,300. And by uh, May, June, the price began, you know, was hovering around 600. And then by November, collapsed to 400, you know, rock bottom. And we're now seeing the recovery of that price crash here in the early months, which is now we're seeing an uptick in pricing, uptick in velocity. And, you know, there's definitely some upside we're seeing with the market beginning to mature, given our the data that we've been collecting. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like this is in, in part of the kind of regulator's job to kind of figure out these market forces and, you know, control licensing or production, you know, at some level to kind of prevent these fluctuations? Or is this, you know, more of a open capitalist market of like, we should just, you know, the market will figure itself out, right? Those, those folks that can produce efficiently will survive. Those that can't will fade away and it will self-correct on its own. I mean, what's, what's your kind of philosophical approach to this? Well, you know, the state is definitely, they have recognized, you know, now what has happened. I mean, you know, Newsom just, uh, Gavin Newsom just, you know, issued a hundred million, you know, that's supposed to go back towards, you know, solving some of these problems, but by the time that money has an impact, it's it's going to take years, you know, to you know, to for that money to actually have you know impact of what's happened. And really, what has to happen now is re- looking, at, you know, licensing more retailers. I, I don't think that you know regulators are going to place a license cap on you know new licenses. They're working on eliminating the cultivation tax, which will ha- definitely have some reprieve. But what the state and you know regulators need to do, and local municipalities, they need to fast track. The retail market, so it can actually support the production, in, you know, in California. California has been the largest producer of cannabis for the country, and it's the largest market in the world. But the local, you know, market in California, the retail market, can't support its production. So that's where you know the regulator is really pushing forward with working with local municipalities to license more retail storefronts, deliveries that can support the 40 million population and actually, you know, bring this supply to the regulated market. Yeah. And and what are the kind of, I guess, broader implications? I mean, if you look at, you know, obviously we kind of have the state by state market issue, but, you know, we have, we have gray market, illicit market, where clearly product is being kind of moved around the country, you know, if not totally legally, like how is this affecting, you know, prices in California? How is it affecting prices across other states? Like, how do you see these dynamics playing out? Well, you know, it all goes back to the overproduction, the current license canopy, the state, the cultivators, cultivations producing two to three times more what than the market can sustain. So if that excess product that can't fit within the retail market is now um, also driving down pricing in the illicit market where the, the with new states coming online with adult use and we're seeing, you know, states like Oklahoma and that are similar to California and during early Prop 215 days with very limited regulation, you know, you know, thousands of cultivators. And we're seeing that even in California that it, it the oversupply can't even doesn't have, even have the outlets that it once had even in the illicit space. So we're with just because of this regulations changing across the country. 
and it's you know we're you have an illicit market price that's the same price as per pound as the regulated which just doesn't doesn't work you have all this over it so it's still enticing for these especially the 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 legacy cultivators that are struggling financially right now they're like well why would i want to pay taxes on this product where i you know and i don't even have a guarantee that my this i'm going to even move this when i need yeah. to pay my mortgage my trimmers and my whole family and their livelihood is on the line so we're still competing with that that dynamic with you know as a distributor with Sometimes we lose batches to farms because they need to pay their bills and they had somebody show up with a bag of cash. And unfortunately, it's not that what they want to do. It's just about survival right now for many of these farms and the states, you know, a little late to the game with providing a solution. Uh, And until until the the, the local sell through in California can support its production, we're always going to see a, uh, you know, a battle between both illicit and regulated spaces. Yeah. Yeah. What what other kind of policy, legal kind of things are you looking at in terms of, uh, or keeping your eye on in terms mm-hmm. of how, it, what what might come down the pike here in terms of shaping the market or kind of yeah. change the dynamics of what's going on? That's a great question. Um, you know, one of the, you know, the big, you know, what right now, as I said, I just said, it's like the name of the game for many of the smaller cultivator, craft cultivators, legacy operators is survival. Once interstate commerce can open up, that will be the game changer and it'll be the lifeblood for the small craft cultivator where you can will be able to begin to export, you know, to other licensed adult use or medical states. And there is, you know, definitely forward uh, momentum on a federal level with the Safe Banking Act. Chuck Schumer also, you know, majority Senate Majority Leader also just, you know, last week said he's prioritizing, you know, federal legalization of cannabis, you know, support the economy and communities. And with his support and even if Federal legalization doesn't come through, you know, on a regulated level initially. The Safe Banking Act will could potentially open up interstate commerce, where a, a regulated state such as California can begin to develop contracts with, you know, New York or Connecticut or Massachusetts and begin begin exporting legally as it's or you know exporting as it's always done, but on a legal regulated basis. And this will drive up, you know, drive up the price per pound in these well-known, you know, regions such as Humboldt, Mendocino, yeah. Trinity, Sonoma, Nevada where it will begin to be similar to, you know, the wine and grape model where, you know, Napa and Sonoma, you know, have this, this um, have appellations and, you know, this very notable high valued production region that receives top dollar with limited batches. Um, and we'll start to see that with, with the small cultivators, you know, we're seeing, if you look at a comparison too, between wine and then craft beer, you have your Budweiser's and then you have your small craft brews. And, the the Budweisers, the Coors, you know, their their price point is you know times three four times less than what the craft you know craft uh, beer company is, and but those craft brews that are you know high quality, they're culturally focused, they're supporting local communities. They're you know I know myself, I will I'll pay a premium for it, and just as you know, a consumer pays a premium for craft beer, the consumer will also pay a premium for you know the locally produced terroir specific unique cannabis batches that are coming out of these well-known um, notable regions that you know the entire world knows about and and that once that happens and interstate commerce opens up that will be uh, the lifeline for 
for you know for California once again to now have be the the be its the largest producer and exporter as it always has been, but on on a regulated legal basis. Yeah, Devin, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Eco Farms, what's the best way to get that information? So yeah, our Eco Farm website is Eco Farm E C O F A R M dot A G. Uh, and that's our holding company and um, information around all of our, our entities and assets, including our, our brand Lifted Legacy, our consumer package brand. And then we have our, our supply chain as a service um, distribution uh, company, Thrive Society, and that is thrive-society.com. And we're, we're both on Instagram uh, for all of our entities. You can look up Thrive Society as well as EcoFarm, uh, as well as follow our website for new updates and what's coming down the pipeline. We also have a we're close to launching our technology-only um, subsidiary called Supercrop, in which we'll be expanding into other states and working to solve the same supply chain problems that we have been experiencing in California through supply chain as a managed service and really begin to help other operators in other regions efficiently bring product to market. Excellent. I'll make sure that all that information is in the show notes. Devin, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Bruce, I appreciate uh, having me and uh, yeah, you have a great rest of your week. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.